welcome to episode six of the Outfield Podcast. I am so happy to bring this episode to you with someone who came out eight days ago but has been incredibly impactful, Zach Sullivan, defenseman, the Manchester Storm of the Elite Ice Hockey League, only the fourth ever male professional hockey player to come out. Came out as bisexual. He's done a lot of great work in these eight days since he's been an out bisexual man, particularly so impactful being in hockey, a sport where there aren't many like him. So, he tells a lot about his story, how he came to accept himself, what it's been like being bisexual in hockey, and so much more, including Hockey Geek Talk about the EIHL and so much more. You're going to really enjoy this show. It's one of my favorite I've ever done. Sit back and enjoy. Here is Zach Sullivan on episode six of the Outfield Podcast. As promised, this is episode six of the Outfield Podcast, with a much shorter gap between episode five and six than four and five. One was three months, this is about two weeks. A lot better, but, and no offense to anybody who I've interviewed first in these first five shows, or anybody I'm going to interview going forward, this is probably one of my favorite ones I'm ever going to do. Because, if you haven't heard the story of Zach Sullivan, defenseman, Manchester Storm, Elite Ice Hockey League in England, he came out as bisexual eight days ago as the day we're recording this. And you cannot imagine how happy I am to be saying welcome to the podcast, Zach. Yeah, thank you for having me. I am so excited, not just because somebody coming out as bisexual is great. There are more of us in the world. That's very important. But also, people coming out in hockey is incredibly rare. I've made fun of the fact that hockey as a sport is not very good at this. But now, that's like three people that's come out in a year. That's just amazing, a miracle. And when I started talking about this issue in hockey, I never thought it would be even three people in a year. So I'm really, really excited. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great response. So, And I will say firstly, of course, first openly bisexual male professional hockey player. That's amazing. And then the second thing, I don't know if you know this, but you're the first ever defenseman to come out. Did you okay. know that? No, I didn't know that, no. Okay, so because we only have four people. So <laughs> if you can count on one hand, it's obvious that you're probably going to make some history. But the first two were goalies, friend Brock McGillis, of course, friend of the show, great human being, goalie. John Lee Olson just came out a little while back, goalie. Yanni Puhaka, hopefully future podcast guest, forward. So there you go, first defenseman. Fair enough. I did not know that. Well, now you do. I wonder yep. why defensemen were last. Um, I think we're the last to take credit for anything in women's play. I think that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. That, that makes a ton of sense. And goalies are, of course, weird, so makes sense <laughs> why they were first. Uh, we have so much to get to in the show. Of course, I can't say how excited I am about having you on. But firstly, I have to ask, you came out eight days ago. Unfortunately, the day when you came out, other really horrible things happened in sports, so I couldn't think about it as much as I wanted to. But then I started looking up what you were saying, your interviews and your stories, and it just it made me happier and happier every time I saw one of those. So I have to ask, how busy have your last eight days been? Yeah, they've uh, they've been quite busy. I've been uh, I've been asked to do a, a few interviews for the BBC over here and the ITV, and um, you know I I, re I just really appreciate the chance to kind of tell my story and and explain why I've done this, and uh, hopefully it reaches the people that need to hear it. It's reached America. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot further than I thought it would reach. So that's that's obviously quite a good. It's thing. It's, it's Twitter. You're, it's going to reach very far very quickly. Uh, yeah. Especially something like this, which I have to be honest, I look out for. Yeah. Particularly in hockey, because as I said, it's just so rare to see this, and it's amazing to see this, and you you just you never know when a story like this is going to pop up and how impactful it's going to be. And the hockey world is small. It's not like one of these other sports, which are giant and big. And particularly British hockey is small. We'll get to that, too. And, and for that, that's why these stories travel. So, Absolutely. So, firstly, most people probably don't know a lot about you or they're just learning about you. So tell everybody a little bit about where you grew up, your family life, and all of that. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Surrey in uh, England. Um, little town called, I was born in a little town called Red Hill. Um, older sister, older brother, and a younger sister. Um, I hope my siblings don't get annoyed too much, but uh, I think our little sister is our favorite human on the planet. So uh, I think we're all in agreement on that. Um, parents are obviously my role models. They've they've been there for me my entire life, like driven me to hockey all the way through my life from the age of about nine. So um, yeah, and I've I've spent the last six years in the elite league this is my first at manchester storm and and the last five in glasgow so um like you said uh, hockey players don't really uh aren't the most outgoing but um yeah I've, I've enjoyed hockey over here and um like i said if if this can reach the right people and and uh, maybe help them on their journeys then then that's the only goal of of doing this so the first question i have to ask is because this is britain and i happen to know where surrey is because I'm an Anglophile, yep. and I follow things such as Top Gear and the Premier yep. League, so I figured it out over time. It's just south of London, if you don't know. And yep. uh, why would you know English geography? I shouldn't even know English geography, and yet I do because I'm insane. But I have to ask, how in the world does somebody from there become a hockey player? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. We uh, we have some school visits through the year, and, and we always get asked that question, and obviously the Canadians and the Americans have the easy answer of it's everyone does it. Um, not everybody oh, does it here, but I mean, yeah, um, less people do it in, in Britain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, honestly, it was a case of I was I was a very hyperactive little kid, and um, my parents made me play pretty much every sport you can imagine, and and ice hockey just happened to be the one that stuck. So it was just a random thing. Then there wasn't any just like, oh, I played NHL '94. You wouldn't have played NHL '94, but uh, or a common entry point like that. No, it was it was just uh, I actually started off playing roller hockey in a uh, uh, gym near near my old house, and uh, the coach there said, "Oh, have you played ice hockey?" And I I kind of thought he was pulling my leg. I'd never heard of ice hockey before, and I was like, "That's that's not a sport. That's that's not what people do." And um, went down and trialed for a team, and, and never looked back. Really, as you know, I love I love playing ice hockey and. As much as us ice hockey players like complaining about everything under the sun, we, we obviously love the sport. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm now lucky enough to play the sport that I love to play professionally. So It's just funny because when you think about people that come from non-traditional hockey backgrounds and air quotes, that's very Canadian sports writer of me to say. But you, there's yeah. normally some sort of entry point like, oh, I saw X, Y and Z or I went to something like this. But you it was just, ah, why don't you try this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um it's a bit of a long answer to give to a, a bunch of seven-year-olds when you're at school visit. So the, the story I tell them is uh, I watched the Mighty Ducks once and I was I was sold ever since. So 
that's that's the short version that I, I give the, the school children. But uh, yeah, the long story is just uh, I played every sport and it, it just happened to be the one that stuck. If you're giving that story to seven-year-olds, they would have been born in 2013. The Mighty Ducks was coming out 20-plus years before they were born. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's usually the homework we give them when we're, when we're in. We say, right, your homework today is to go home and watch the Mighty Ducks. So, uh... um, depends on which Mighty Ducks movie you're showing them. This has been a very controversial topic in hockey circles about which of these is good. Yeah, the uh, we, watched, we watched it recently. I, I watched it recently with my housemates. There's a few... Um, I think the Oreo line is is one of the comments which we thought, oh, that's a bit um, bit offside. But uh, welcome to yeah. 1992. Or whatever yeah, that movie exactly. came out. I don't know. Um, I don't no, remember. I saw it and it was like cheesy sports movie. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, but it, it's it shows you like a lot of kids have watched it and and fallen in love with hockey. So um, obviously, when we're going to the school visits, we're trying to get our following up for the storm and. Um, any excuse to to get kids to watch what most most hockey players think is a classic. Uh, you we'll, can't tell seven year olds to watch Slapshot, which is no, unfortunate, I, I, but they should. Yeah. They will at some point, but you can't tell them when they're seven. Okay, go home and watch this movie. You yeah, can't exactly. really do that. At least but you can't you can't really get them to watch that one. Well, you could. I mean, if they were fourteen, you probably would be able to, but you can't get them when they're seven. Uh, it is a better hockey movie, Mighty Ducks, than some other hockey movies such as um, The Love Guru, which is awful. And <laughs> well, most hockey movies are actually bad, but that you know, at least Mighty Ducks is terrible. They're actually making a new uh, version of the show on Disney Plus. So congratulations, Disney, for your plug here. Uh, but you didn't tell them that one of the the actors in Mighty Ducks just got arrested. I hope you didn't tell them that. For a while, for the for the eleventh or twelfth time, I think Goldberg. Yeah, he's uh, he's gone off the rails a little bit. Oh. What happens when you, uh, hockey, it, it straight jackets you and then you get out and you go crazy. Oh. It's, uh, it's unfortunate because it, it's, uh, I think it's a sport more than most that, um, you kind of get, you, you get a stronger bond with your teammates, you know, it's, um, obviously it's a really physical sport and it's, it's very fast and, and you kind of, the, the friendships you make during hockey kind of last for a, for a lifetime and, um, yeah, like you say, once you once you get out of it, you're kind of not surrounded by that family atmosphere anymore. And uh, yeah, um, unfortunately, some people go a bit uh, off the rails and and can't really cope with the their day to day life. But or um, hockey makes them go, or hockey makes them go off the rails, unfortunately. Yeah, but absolutely, there is that case as well. You know, there's um, there's the the Bell Let's Talk movement, which is talking about mental health, and and he he didn't he uh, I don't want to get it wrong but i think he he struggled with mental health and he, he didn't talk to anyone and uh, ended up taking his own life and he couldn't cope with the fact that he he didn't have that surroundings around him and yeah there's there's uh you know cte is obviously a big thing in the states at the moment and uh you know we we have we're a sport where fighting is is allowed and uh there are some big guys giving out big punches to the head so um yeah it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things in hockey and um it's, yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous sport for when sure. When you talk to these kids about it, is this like their first introduction to the sport? It's not like even in, like, I'm I'm from an area where hockey is popular, but it's not popular everywhere, obviously, yeah. in the U.S. Is it like their first introduction to the sport? Because it's not like they're being indoctrinated with it from birth. Yeah, I'd, um, usually every school we go to, it's uh, there's usually one or two that have come to a game before and, and they like it and they've got all the questions about, oh, do you like this person? Do you like this person? But yeah, the, the, definitely the majority, 99% of them, uh, it's, it's definitely their first introduction. And 
and it kind of makes our, our lives easier when we go on the visits as well because they, it's the first time they've seen the kit and and stuff like that so they're all glued to us on the stage they're oh, this, the uniforms they're oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get to those we'll get to those what did this yeah, one? Uh, Can't see an NHL team wearing those anytime soon now no. some some minor league team in in Greenville maybe but not not these so we get back to you for a bit so you start playing hockey when you're nine I think you said and yeah, that's... so you realize you're good at it and so this becomes your sport and now as you're growing up you're also answering questions about your sexuality and I've read stories when that's what you've, you've talked about a little bit and obviously hockey and, and this stuff have been let's just say incompatible I'll be nice yeah for absolutely. A while. so as you're starting to figure this out and the more and more you read about kids telling their coming out stories or people like you telling their coming out stories you realize this rather young and yep. it gets it, you get younger and younger as you start to realize this so as you're playing this sport that has a culture that has not been friendly to people like us do you how do you can you put that together or is this hockey something that was so first and foremost in your mind that everything else kind of went to the back burner for a while yeah, I mean, uh, I, I went to senior hockey when I was 16. I was playing in the semi-professional league. And um, I think I knew back then when I was 16. And like you say, hockey is, hasn't been the most friendly sport. But, um, you know, come, having done what I've done now and, and seeing the support from not just not just my own teammates that see me every day and, and know who I am, but, you know, guys that have never met me before coming up to me, like, on the other team and saying, you know, you should be really proud of yourself. It's going to help young kids around the world. And, and and that's the big reason, you know. I I, I felt comfortable and I felt in a stage on my journey where I could kind of say, you know what, this is this is me. I'm I'm bisexual, and uh, you know, I think in my tweet I put, I can play, you can play, and that's 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 all that matters. It it shouldn't matter about your, you know, not not even just your sexuality, you know, your gender, gender identity, your sexual orientation, even race and and religion. It it doesn't matter what you believe in or who you are you if you can play a sport you can play a sport and and that's the message that I'm, I'm trying to send it's not about my personal fame or publicity um talk to anyone that knows me even half decently that they'll say that this this kind of media attention is a living walking nightmare for me um but it's it's the first time in my life that i've felt passionately about something and it's uh the first strong message i've got i've i can carry that is you know, it doesn't matter. You can, if you can play, you can play, and that that should be all that matters. Other than hockey is good, and you should like it. <laughs> yeah. And and see, this is why I'm trying to make you laugh because we're trying to make it so that people feel like they can be comfortable talking. Again, we said that hockey players are a little robotic, and the hockey culture in England. There's a lot of Canadians over there, so I would assume yep. the hockey culture has kind of translated. I will talk to that because a lot of hockey geek questions I have to ask too. That's somebody who doesn't know all that much about British. I know some things about it, but not all that much. So, but for you, I think, as, as you start to, to play, as you start to get to a point where now you start saying, oh, I could do this for a living, do you ever, does your sexuality come up at any point for you? Because you're like, there must have been times in your life where you're thinking, oh, I, I have to do something about this, but you're 25 now so it, it's taken obviously there's no set time scale for anybody to come out but you probably had questions about it first like should i do something about this or what were those moments like for you as you're starting to play a lot and play really well but then you have these other questions because as as i've talked with other people about this in other sports including in hockey 
this stuff, when it gets in your head, it's hard to be able to clear your mind even when you're playing because it's always in the back of your mind and it's always something that's there, but it's not there, if you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, it's it's kind of backwards because for me, I, I, I was told when I was when I was seven, 16 or 17 um, by one of my teammates, um, I, I, I was kind of down and one of my teammates came over to me and he was like, what's up? And I was like, nothing, I'm fine. And he's like, no, you're not, like, what's up? And I, I told him what was going on and um, I think at the time it was about my grandma. She'd just been taken into hospital, and um, he kind of said to me, "You know, obviously that's that's horrible. And I'm here if you ever need to talk. But when you're on the ice, you can just forget about your normal life, and you can forget about your worries, and you just concentrate on your teammates and and the the two hours or three hours that you're on the ice for. And for me, hockey's always been my release, and I've for some reason I I can I managed to kind of filter out my my life and and just concentrate on the hockey for the for the time I'm on the ice and that's that's my other point you know is is hockey has always been my release from what's been going on in my life and I'm sure other sportsmen and sportswomen have the same with their sport that it's a release they can forget about the bad stuff that's going on and obviously you know that that shouldn't just be limited to the straight community that's that's a sport is a release for people worldwide and if that can be a release for a, a gay person or a lesbian person or a trans person or a bisexual, then, then that's, that's my goal. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You know, everyone should be entitled to that release. Like, because every, everyone's the same. Everyone's, everyone's a normal person. It's doesn't make you any less of a person. doesn't make you any less of a man or a woman. And I think that's the stigma in hockey that if you're not this straight man, then you, you can't be as good as anyone else and as other, as other players and, I think that's a stigma which certainly British hockey is getting away from. You know, the the response I've had from this is has been overwhelmingly positive. I don't think there's been a single single negative comment. And um, yeah, it's just the message I'm trying to send is hockey's for everyone, and and so is sport. It, it's it's a release which has helped me through my life, and there should be no reason why it shouldn't help anyone through their life. So. We have to get now to the hockey culture question. If yep. you've ever listened to one of the people that I've talked to or any stories recently, because obviously it's been a big thing in the NHL talking about hockey culture for many different reasons. Uh, it has been something, if you've listened to work that I've done, talk with people about hockey culture. It's a thing. Uh, so what is the culture like in the dressing room in England? Because you have English players, so that's a different sporting culture than obviously Canada. But if you're going to play hockey, there are Canadians and they bring over the culture that they got from Canada to you. Yep. So yep. what's that culture like? Is it like what the stereotypical hockey culture is in places <laughs> over here in North America, or is it different? Is there a little bit more British elements into it? What's it like? Yeah, I, I, uh, it kind of is the same as Canadian, but it's, it's also quite different as well. I mean, we're, as, as a people, Brits are quite sarcastic, I think, Quite a few countries around the world struggle with our level of sarcasm, and uh, I don't. <laughs> it's perfectly fine for me. That might be why I watch all these British shows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think you always have those kind of two weeks at the start of every season where it's kind of the, the Canadian culture, and it's it's the same as as in in North America, and then they kind of come, get acclimatized to our level of sarcasm and they, they start joining in. Uh, we call it banter over here. I'm not sure if it's the same. In I, I know what it, I know what banter is. People start to use it now and it sounds very weird. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they start joining in with that and uh, 
they start it's it's obviously football is huge over here and they start getting interested in that and we we usually go to a few football games every year and they they everyone that comes over is really seems really open into learning about british culture so i think the the room in the the dressing room in this in britain is not stereotypically a hockey dressing room you know it's it's more of a we're kind of sharing cultures while while we're cu- growing as people and players and um you know I, I think what you're alluding to is the kind of you know the real masculine um well also not just that but the very closed off straight jacket you know like it's all about the team first no personality things yeah. of nature the team above all like things like yeah. that kind of stuff yeah we we have that here obviously like it's uh all that matters is winning kind of thing and um you know like like any sport we we have some guys that play more than others and and uh obviously we've got some better players and some that aren't as good and it's all about doing what we can do to to kind of make the team the best it can be and um but then we also have the the side where you know the elite league isn't the nhl um and i think the majority of players that come here know that they're not going to make the nhl the, the top league in the in the in the world and so there's also a relaxed air that you know hockey isn't the be all and end all of life, and um, we're co- we're quite lucky with the coach this year. We've um, he understands that sometimes we need time away from hockey, and um, he values our rest periods and our time away from the rink as well. So um, I think over here it's more of a balance of hockey and real life, and whereas certainly in the NHL it's hockey at all costs. You know it. it, it I don't even think it's even that. It's just that when you come up in a culture like it is in these places where you're developing hockey players and you hear the stories about parents and what they do and things like that, you just go, okay, you're overdoing it. Yeah. That culture persists. And the culture of this is how hockey was done, this is how we're going to teach hockey to these younger kids. And the other issue is, and it's different with you because you came from hockey from – a very odd angle, which is I had no connection with hockey until I did, which is not how it usually works because it's children of hockey players play hockey and then the cycle continues. For that, that means you can bring in different elements to a hockey dressing room that in most places you don't get because, as I said, a lot of people in hockey had families involved in hockey already. So they know the culture, they're brought up in it. And the other part of hockey culture that is really, really tough is the not questioning of authority and how there's no real ability to question authority. Now in Britain, that's different because Britons love to question authority all the time. That's yeah. part of this. That's part of the shtick, but also because the atmosphere is, as you said, a little bit more relaxed, it's not as cutthroat because the level is what it is. I think maybe from what you're saying, that's why the dressing room is a little bit more open. And as I said, like the other part of this culture is, the distraction element, right? You've heard, you've probably heard about this before. It's a huge yeah. buzzword in hockey, and I hate it more than anything else. A distraction. It's something is, it, it takes away the focus from winning or something that I don't know. But yeah. it, it, for you, it doesn't seem like that's an issue because this story, the, the fear that a lot of people have, or the people that I talk to over here, it's the fear of coming out and the fear of having that talk is like, well, that's a distraction to the team. And I said, a distraction from what? somebody's personal well-being yeah so, i mean you don't seem like you have that and it doesn't seem like the response is anything like that which is very refreshing for somebody who fears hearing that word all the time 
yeah, I mean, um, I, I kind of started telling my teammates around November time, and um, uh, I told them on on the Saturday night. Mo- the majority of my teammates knew, and I told them that I was going to tweet the next day. And um, yeah, we we turned up in the rink, and our coach said after the game, it's probably the best game we've had all year. So um, some sometimes the teams need, you know, we've been we were kind of in a slump coming into the new year and sometimes teams need a story to rally around as well and by no means am I saying this is our story but um you know we we had a, a kid called Zach who's going through a, an illness and he came up to to our game in Glasgow and you know we we you kind of see what why we play hockey you know everyone says oh we play hockey to win things or we, we play hockey to be Stanley Cup champion and sometimes it's it's you realize that it's not about that and it's actually you can impact a child's life you know there might be a child who's going through or even an adult that's going through something and he's struggling with his he's struggling with something in his life and or her life and um anything that we can do in our position to kind of help that you know we're we're in an honored position we get to play a a kid's game professionally and um being able to help people going through not just their sexuality struggles, but any struggles in life. And it, it really illuminates why, why we play sport. And, and, you know, even, even at a level, which is nowhere near the NHL, we, we can still impact people's lives in a pos- positive way. And, um, for us, certainly it's been, uh, you know, me, me kind of announcing what I did has, has been kind of a, a spur on it. it's kind of helped us to play better. And, you know, it's, and like you say, it's, it's not, a I've suffered mental health problems going through this and it's not a, a distraction by any means. I, I told my coach before a game and he said, yeah, that's great. Like I fully support what you're doing. Like his first response was, yeah, I know I've known for a while. And um, then it was kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to affect your hockey. If anything, it's going to make you play better because you're not got that, that kind of, it's a cliche, but the weight on your shoulders, you're not carrying that anymore. It's kind of lifted off your shoulders after you've, after you've made it public and, and you can just carry on being yourself. You see that here's, here's what's funny is that you hear this from you and you go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then you look over at what I look at every day in this sport and this is not the way people think. And it's infuriating because it seems so basic and it seems so obvious, but that's why hockey's culture has been so just, it's been rough because people can't say things like that because they're viewed as a distraction or if you question authority, you know, you could be out on your rear end the next day, and there's yep. too many stories like that. And this, again, it, it seems novel, which is unfortunate because it shouldn't be novel in this sport, but it is. But it's refreshing to hear it. And, I mean, yeah. as I'm saying, like, hey, um, Gary, you over there, you in New York, can you listen? To, I know you won't listen to this show, but if you do, listen to what these people are saying and uh, take advantage of that because it'll make your league better if you do it this way. Or yeah, I mean, if I think, you're listening to this in Ontario somewhere, please. Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I think it's also a case of you know uh, the majority of the hockey pundits, especially in North America, kind of from the old guard of hockey as well. So oh, you're you're very good at this. So you kind of got. Uh, I mean, Don Cherry's the the perfect example. Well, he's, he's not a hockey analyst anymore. He's just a terrible no. podcast host like me. Not anymore, but you know, he he got fired oh, for. Yeah, I know. And. Uh, but he'd, he'd been saying things like that for years and um, hockey had finally realized that actually, you know, for, for hockey to be an inclusive sport, they, they can't have people talking like that anymore. And 
I think not just the hockey world, but the world in general has come come so far in terms of LGBT and um, you know I, I was like I said I I kind of realised when I was 16 probably earlier being honest and that was nine years ago and I don't think not just the hockey culture but culture in general was ready for a sportsman to come out and say this kind of thing and um, I think the LGBT movement has moved so far over the last even the last five years, last two years, and um, you still have the the old the old guard of of hockey pundits kind of putting their old view their their tired views on 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 hockey them like the ones that they've carried with their their whole lives and through their hockey careers and they kind of I I think they're worried that if hockey does change then their ideals will be lost and. You know, I've I've said this. I've I've told my my team that I'm bisexual, and you know, it's it's exactly the same as it was before. It's it's not, it's it's okay. That's that's cool. Like as long as you're happy, like let's let's go and win an ice hockey game. And you know, it, it doesn't matter who's on your team. It's it's still going to be that way. It's still going to be about winning. And you know, it's a sport. It's a professional sport. It's it's all about the money at the end of the day that the teams bring in. And um, I don't think it matters what you are or who you are as long as you can still play the sport and you can still play it at a level that is that is adequate for the league that you're playing in. Oh my goodness. I'm going to get you hired on Hockey Night in Canada because you don't hear this. Or NBC. Actually, you'll have to work with Mike Milbury. I won't make you do that. But it's just amazing. To, again, hockey players don't talk like this. And so even though you say you're kind of private, you're kind of reserved, you get it. You understand, like, how this should be going and it's just so refreshing to hear any hockey player talk like this because most of them don't and when they do end up showing some semblance of personality you end up getting your jacket thrown in the shower or something like that yep, yep. i i have Andrew kane sorry about the sharks this year uh i have to ask also because you mentioned john cherry what was that like you got obviously have a lot of canadians on your team when that happened obviously when don cherry's on coach's corner that's at one in the morning for you so you're sleeping but what did they think about that? I'm really, really curious. Well, we have uh, we actually have the first Punjabi player in in our league playing on our team, and um, what he said was kind of directed towards his his race, and he felt personally affronted by by what uh, Don Cherry said, and he tweeted about, it and he had quite a lot of abuse coming his way. Um, for us, it was. I think everyone knew it was coming. Obviously, there's some people that agree with what Don Cherry and I, I don't disagree with what Don Cherry said about hockey when it was about the hockey. Um, I think he made some good points about certain plays, but there's no there's no place in any in any sport or in any part of the world for for any kind of views like that. It was obviously against the race, and you know there's no there's no place in any sport or any any role in the world that especially one on such a, a nationwide stage for, for racist views. And then um, the majority of us were on the same page. And I think all of us were on the same page. And we said, yeah, well, he's an idiot. He, he can't say things like that. on. on uh, you're so good at this. It makes me so happy. <laughs> Again, it just sounds novel because it's hockey, but it's not. So I want to get back to you. So you say you, you kind of came to grips with your sexuality by 16. Is there a moment that you had when you just felt like I don't know what I can do with this when you were most confused and what was 
if you want to talk about what your lowest point was and getting to what your highest point is, which I presume is now. Yeah. What's that? What's that part when you look back on it where you like, I can't believe I'm now here when I was there. Well, I had a I had a very close friend. I played with him on a in in the same club and on a regional level and then national level as well. And um, I think I was 16 or 17 at the time, and I felt I felt like I got to a point in our friendship where I could I could tell him, and I I knew that he wouldn't care, and it would be the same as always. And um, unfortunately, he passed away. He he had a head accident and passed away, and. I kind of felt alone. I I didn't have anyone that I knew I could count on the support. Like I said, it was nine years ago now, and it was. I don't think the 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 world was ready for this kind of thing, and uh, let alone the hockey community, which is a, uh, is kind of tarnished with a brush that it's less accepting than than most of the world. And um, yeah, he he passed away, and I kind of felt alone, and I didn't have a, anyone to support me, and I kind of went back into my shell. And I was kind of I can't tell anyone this, and it kind of ate away at me for a long time. And I don't think a lot of people got why I missed him so much because it was, it was not just that I'd lost a friend and, and a, a, a best friend. It was also that I'd lost what I saw as my only confidant. He, he knew things about me that people to this day don't. And, um, yeah, that was tough. It was, you know, it's right now I'm in a place where I, I, I have friends that supported me and my teammates didn't really care. Um, and my family apparently are all already knew. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it was a time where I, I was alone. And I think that was my problem back then was that I didn't want to be shunned or, or lose the respect of my teammates because of my sexual views. And um, now I'm at a stage where I know my teammates don't care. I still get treated like the same person before, like before I did this. And, and that's exactly the the acceptance that you look for when you do this. It's not you're not looking for any preferential treatment or or anything like that or any advances in life. You're just looking to be treated exactly the same as before. And you know, guys still still work just as hard against me in practice and in games. And and that's exactly how it should be. Can I ask how uh, people knew before you told them, if you don't mind me asking? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's something that perplexes me. Um, my be- I told my best friend first in in Glasgow, and he said, "Yeah, I kind of had a feeling." And I was, "What did I do? Was there something I did that kind of?" He looked at your internet search history. No, I'm kidding. Well, yeah. Um, no, it was, and and my, I told my parents I was going to tell them something over Christmas. So I think my my two sisters kind of worked it out from that that it was the only news that I would give them fair warning about. Um, but yeah, quite quite a few people that I know said, yeah, kind of kind of guessed. Um, was it I, was it one of those things where they guessed what it was going to be, or they or they actually knew what you were going to tell them before you said it? Because, I think because guessing I, is one of those things that when I when I did that, some people were like, you know, eh, we could kind of guess this. Yeah. But it's it's different uh, than saying, oh, I knew already. I think I think a bit of both. I think some people were kind of like, yeah, I kind of guessed you were going to tell me that. But there were some people I just told out of the blue, and they were kind of like, mm, had my suspicions. Um, what what when you hear oh I had my suspicions or something to that effect like how does that make you feel because for me it would be like oh well that's a little awkward for me it was it was kind of a relief because it was you know you never know how how people are going to react and you know you think you know a person and and you tell them something of this magnitude and it's everything changes all of a sudden and for me no kind of having that relief that 
they knew anyway and it didn't change how they acted anyway even though they had their suspicions and for me that's that's even though i haven't told them they've already accepted who i am and and my sexual preference and yeah for me it was it was almost more of a relief than anything it wasn't I, I also got a bit annoyed. I was kind of, what, what did I do? Like, why, why did you have your suspicions? And I kind of got a bit affronted like that. But Well, that's fair. That's completely fair. There's nothing wrong with that. But no, it's, uh, no, for me, it was a relief. Certainly, it was, um, they, they'd known it. They'd, they had their suspicions for a while, and it didn't change how they acted around me. It didn't change what they said to me. And, and like I said with my teammates, that's that's exactly the reaction I was hoping for. I didn't want to be treated as someone someone different because of this. I didn't want to be treated like someone new. It was, I was still the same person as the day before. Um, you know, it's just because I've said this now, it doesn't mean I'm all, I've, I've only just turned bisexual. It, it's, I've been bisexual my entire life. It's, it's just, I've now got the confidence to tell people. I, I love when you are able to turn something that I would go as like, Oh, how did you figure that out to a positive? Because, I think there are some people out there. If you if you told them about their coming out stories like that, and they said, "I people knew beforehand, or they suspected it," you get some little bit nasty, not nasty reactions, but just some more questionable uh, questionable reactions, perhaps. I can't find the term that makes most sense here, but for you, I guess you turned it into a positive, and that that helps. Yeah, I, I went on a, a podcast over here that two of my friends run. Um, Hockey players running a podcast while they're playing. Uh, they have both retired now. One, oh, one, okay. One, okay. I was like, wait, hockey players doing a podcast while they're playing? Yeah. I'd be even more ridiculous than somebody coming out in this sport. Yeah, they. Um... How could the hockey players have enough person? Can you imagine a Connor McDavid podcast? <laughs> How boring would that be? <laughs> but yeah, they. they uh, so one of the guys I knew, I was in New Zealand playing with him this year and uh, last summer, and he said, you know, he was at his wedding and one of his long, uh, oldest mates came up to me and said, Bandy, I need to tell you something, I'm, I'm gay. And his response was, yeah, I know, so? And that's that's kind of the reaction that I've got from the people that had their suspicions. It was like, yeah, I kind of guess, but so what? It doesn't change anything. It doesn't mean you're a different person. And I think that's the biggest fear for people on their own journey, that they'll, they'll all of a sudden get treated, treated differently because of it. And I think that's the worst possible reaction it, it's not you know it, like I've, I've I haven't changed at all if anything I've been happier and and been a bit more carefree and but it hasn't changed my personality I haven't suddenly turned into this this completely different person I'm still the same person as I was two years ago and that's the the big thing for me is that people haven't treated me any differently because of it they've still treated me as the same person and I've said it a few times now, and that's the perfect reaction. Well, that's what reaction you need to hear. Yeah, exactly. So, who did you? Who was the first person you told? I told my best friend Josh Greaveson in Glasgow. I had a. Uh, when was that? That was well, yeah. We we had a game in in Nottingham. Uh, I think towards the end of November, um, and honestly, it was probably the worst game I've ever played in my in my hockey career. Um, and obviously the Aaron Hernandez documentary is coming out on Netflix and I kind of felt I was on the same storyline as him. I was, I either needed to tell someone or I was going to get, have a mental breakdown and something bad was going to happen. Um, and I, I texted him on the third, on the Wednesday, on the way back from the game. I was like, I need to talk to you tomorrow. Like, are you around? 
he said, no, I'm, I'm busy tomorrow, but can I wait till Friday? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And we just kind of started getting texting on, on the Thursday and I told him and he went, yeah, so. And for me, my, my, my best friends, uh, I, I treat them like family and they treat me like family. And, and for him to say that, like, obviously, you know, I, I knew my family were going to be behind me no matter what. And for that kind of extended family to be, yeah, so it doesn't change anything, was, it just gave me so much relief and so much, it took so much worry away that, you know, I, there, there were rumors about me being gay when I was younger and I kind of lost the friends that I had. And um, I knew that I wasn't going to lose my best friend and that, that gave me so much relief and took so much worry away that I kind of almost didn't care what anyone else thought. I almost lost that worry factor and I was like, okay, if, if Josh is still going to stick around, I don't care about anyone else. That's that's all I need. So this all happened for you really rapidly then. Like this yeah. wasn't a process that was played out over a long period of time. This happened real, real quick. No. Like once it, once it, well, the first, you told the first person it's downhill. And yeah. within two months, you're doing this. Yeah. It's, well, it's um, the, the hardest part. The hardest part for me was actually accepting it myself. Um, you know, that's, that's been the longest part. That's taken me almost eight and nine, nine and a half years. Um, just accepting it myself. Cause like, like I said, when I, when I first realized the LGBT movement was just kind of starting to be accepted and it was still, people were treated differently because of their sexuality and, and I didn't want to be treated any differently. And, um, that, that was the hardest thing, actually accepting it for myself. And I found that once I'd done that and I, I, told my best friend I, I kind of like I kind of lost the worry of what other people thought um it's actually quite a funny story with with one of my roommates who's who's this year who's one of my closest friends and I kind of said oh I've got a date on Monday and he said oh yeah who with where did you meet her did you meet her on Instagram did you meet her on Tinder or did you meet her on Facebook and I was kind of like I, I met him on a dating app and his response was him and I went yeah I'm bisexual and he went oh okay cool and that was that was it it wasn't a oh what like like that's that's disgusting get away from me it was like okay cool like still want to hear about it i still want to hear about how it goes and and that was kind of that was kind of a really awesome reaction because it wasn't you know we, we spend probably two three hours together a day just going to the gym or by ourselves and um that reaction was kind of great. It was, you know, nothing's going to change. It's still want to hear about everything. I still want to hear how dates are going and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, for it's also the, the timing of it, I don't think was a coincidence. It was the elite league's first pride weekend. And, um, I felt that the anticipation for the pride weekend was, was really kicking up and it was making a big noise. And I, I got to a point where maybe I wasn't completely comfortable doing it, but, I got to a point where I was comfortable enough and I kind of thought I was looking back over my journey and there were times where I felt that if there was this kind of level of support for someone who was playing, um, playing professionally in, in a sport that I loved, it would give me so much more confidence and make me so much more comfortable on my journey. And, you know, I look back at my 16 year old self and if I could look at someone who had done this, back then I would have felt so much more comfortable in myself. And like I said, that's, that's the only goal. That's, there's no other ulterior motive. That's the only goal from this to, to help people feel more comfortable and confident on their own journeys. 
Well, you're still doing it for yourself, too. I mean, you're coming out to help others, but you're coming out because at some point you just want to get it. You just want to be done with it. You know, I, I, I've been I've been seeing a guy for the last last two months now, and I said to him, you know, it's the way I've always been with my who I'm dating is, I'm not going to broadcast it, but if someone asks me, I'm not going to deny it. So I, I said to him, is if someone comes up to me and says, "Are you dating a guy?" Yeah, I've been seeing him for two months. That that was where I was at, and I I was comfortable. I, if, if someone had asked me, I would have said, "Yeah, I am," but by no means was I going to go broadcasting it. And for me, I I kind of felt. It's, I, I don't like the phrase because it, it shouldn't have shouldn't have to happen, but I already felt that I had come out um, to the people that mattered to me, um, and I'd already felt accepted and and life went on as normal. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's nice to be accepted by I guess people you've never met before, um, but at the same time I I was I was already at, at a stage where I felt I had come out. And genuinely, the tweet was wasn't for me. It was I felt nervous doing it. I didn't really want to do it. I I almost didn't do it six or seven times. And when I did it, the response and I've had a couple of people message me about their own journeys and their own situations. And you know, just making them their lives a little bit easier is is something that I felt that could possibly happen from my my slightly raised platform. And and obviously, it has happened, which is which has been awesome. So is this the first time you dated a guy? Yes. Look at how amazing this is. Yep. Is so. This is what happens, and bisexuality is confusing because, especially, because when you think about even how sexuality is talked, it's all very black and white, and that makes it hard because for us, black and white's not what this is. Yep. This is a gray area, so. When you like, what does it mean now to you to say I'm bisexual? What does that mean to you? I like girls and guys. Okay, I mean that that works, but is there anything? Is it anything more than that? Because I, I I attribute the significance to it. It's like I said, my joke about it is every genetics kind of knew I was going to have tough times with one gender, so they decided to you know expand the playing field. Yeah, I think I think um, bisexuality is the hard one because um, you know a, a lot of people say, "Oh, you're just being greedy. You just you, you're not sure, so you're just playing both sides of the fence." And I, I don't think that's I don't think that's fair at all. And, you know, I you know, I, I my situation. I used to go into a club with the guys, and I I kind of see a, a good-looking girl walk past and go, "Oh, she's hot," and then I'd see a good-looking guy walk past and go. He's pretty hot too, so. For, yeah, for... that's just it's just it's rough because then you go both and you're and when you're younger and you have no way of like even figuring that out with somebody, even helping you figure that out. Yeah, it's confusing. Yeah, absolutely, and it's uh, yeah for for me it's kind of it's the one where people are most confused about it's the the others the other letters in LGBT uh, and and Q now are. Everyone kind of understands. Everyone understands what, you know, a guy likes a guy. Okay, great. A, a, a woman likes a woman. Great. Um, but someone liking men and women is kind of like, well, you're just being greedy. Pick one. And it's it's not that. I, I spoke to my parents over over Christmas about it, and and my dad's response was, okay, but 
you're only halfway there. You're only halfway to deciding which you like. And I was like, no. Like, I, uh, how, how often has that happened? If you were bisexual and listening to this, how often has that happened to you? The answer is all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my dad didn't mean it from a, he, he obviously meant it from a place of love. He's my dad. And I, I just said to him, no, I, I genuinely don't know whether I'm going to end up marrying a woman or, or a man. Like I, I, I have no preference of either. I like, I genuinely like both, which I, I think is, like you said, it's hard to, hard to comprehend for someone that, that likes either just men or just women. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely the tough one. I haven't put much thought into it because I've kind of been accepted. Nobody, nobody that I know really, really cares all that much who I like or who I want to, to date. And, uh, yeah, I, I haven't really thought about it too much. It's something that you end up thinking about because you get asked about it more. And yeah. you see things that perpetuate those stereotypes. Even for the gay community, this happens. And it annoys me because it makes no sense. Why would anybody who's been discriminated against and treated poorly by society then do that to somebody because, you know, we can't understand that two things can be the same, you know, or two things can be true at the same time? That, that's always annoyed me, and it's something that I didn't really know before I came out and before I started figuring out what was going on with myself, and it, it's something that I've realized is, is much more prevalent than it should be, and it's annoying, and, we, and more people coming out as bisexual when they genuinely are is important. I've seen people come out bisexual and then say, no, I think I'm gay now, and that's fine, because your sexual journey is your own, and you're never going to know definitively until you know definitively. That's not a time that anybody else can set. But if also in the case of your dad, he would have no way of knowing what bisexuality really is because how would he know? There's yeah, exactly. no way of, of, of people in that world, even now we're getting LGBTQ education in schools, there's no way of knowing because you don't get taught about these things. You don't see examples of people being bisexual in pop culture. And when you do, it's not treated with the same level of care. So people don't understand what it actually means. And... That's why coming out as bisexual, I mean, coming out is important no matter what, but that's why, you know, coming out as bisexual is even better for me personally because it shows that people are like, no, this can be, you can, this, this exists and yeah. conflict exists and there are people out there who are going through the same things you are. Yeah, ab yeah. absolutely. And, uh, well, even, even going back to my dad again is, you know, he, he grew up in an era that was, you know, I, I, when he was when he was a kid, it was it was still illegal to be homosexual, and uh, and even when it was it was decriminalized, it was it was still a a kind of taboo subject, and nobody really spoke about it. Nobody really said they were, and and even now, people kids are learning about it in school, and especially in the states. I'm not sure too much about the UK school system, but um, yeah, there's still that kind of taboo subject. Um, I think people find it a struggle to talk about their sexuality anyway, um, and to talk about their sexuality and, and tell people that they're they're different to to each other. They 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 like different things is is even harder. Um, you know, it's always a subject where people don't really talk about it in public. Um, you know, I don't go around shouting to my teammates, "Oh." I'm bisexual in public. Um, it's kind of done in a in a closed environment, and we talk about it. Pers it's a personal subject to talk about, and being being different in that 
already very personal subjects is is even harder because like you say there there aren't many people that fully unless unless you're in the unless you're part of the lgbt community there there aren't many people that really understand it mm-hmm. so i have to ask this question i always like asking this question when people come out is there anybody you heard from where you went oh my god i can't believe i just heard from this person um yes actually it was uh well he's a famous ice hockey player in the in calgary i believe um brian mcgratton he he fought that's, in the- a, that's a that's a fascinating one to me yeah um that's a real fascinating one to me because if you know brian mcgratton let's say pugilist we'll use one of brian burke's favorite words for that yeah so, that that's pretty interesting yeah it was uh well he played it he played in nottingham uh i think two years ago now and you know he's when when he came when he was he's been widely regarded as one of the toughest players to ever play ice hockey and i think looking from from the outside into the hockey world you would you would almost expect these the tough guys to be the least accepting the least the least kind of fluid and and they don't accept other people's views but actually being a part of the community the the tough guys the fighters are are the nicest guys they're always the nicest guys on the team you know personalities yeah absolutely you know they're they're the if you look at it kind of like a a wolf pack perspective they're they're the alpha male they're the one that they're the ones that protect the rest of the pack and and they don't care what what the wolves go up to they're still they're still going to protect them no matter what and i think that's a a common misconception from people who aren't involved in hockey is um, that they're going to be the least accepting ones, but they're always the most accepting. They're always they're always going to stick up for you on the ice, no matter what. And um, I'm I'm lucky enough to play with our tough guy. He's my D partner this year, and and guys are terrified of him. But when when people ask me about him, it's, he's the nicest guy ever. You know, we we chirp each other all the time, backwards and forwards in the dressing room on the ice, and and I. You know, even even if I kind of get one up on him in a in a like taking the taking the mick out of him, bantering with him, and I still know that if someone comes after me on the ice, he's going to be there to back me up and and fight the guy. So it's they're always the nicest guys, and especially you know getting getting a message from someone who's so big in in American ice hockey and and Canadian ice hockey. Well, people people know him, but exactly, he, he's not the most famous pugilist to play. No, he's Britain. not. But uh, you know, someone who was, who had made a career for himself in the NHL and he'd mm. played for for many years. It was, it was kind of uh, kind of nice to get that that tweet. And you know, he he did he obviously didn't care, and and he made the point that no one else should too. And um, I think I got a mention on uh, Spitting Chicklets, which is a ah uh, yes, I was waiting for that. Yeah, that was uh, love, that was pretty love cool. Barstool. Yeah, that, that was kill me barstool people on Twitter. Uh, nothing to say about anything you do. <laughs> no, that that one was pretty cool, and um, obviously. Yes, because Paul Bissonnette, if you didn't know, this is probably the the most known fact about the British league is that Paul Bissonnette played there. Yeah, uh, during the the second lockout, I believe he played. Whatever it was. They all all the lockouts blend together, my friend. Yeah. there's so many of them. That was, that was pretty cool. And, for them, for them to talk about it, and they they kind of said, you know, we played with gay players before, and and it hasn't bothered us. All all we care about is uh, whether they turn up for the games and whether they're whether they're playing well, and and that's how it should be. You know, you, you shouldn't get you shouldn't get more slack on the rope just because 
you're bisexual or because you're gay, you should get the same slack as everyone else. And uh, by no means should you get any less either. It's, it should be the same. You know, it's, if you're straight or you're bisexual or you're gay, you should get the same amount of leeway as the next guy. And and I think that was the point that they were making. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't have cared if if guys were gay or or bisexual. We we would have battled with them on the ice just as hard as before. So let's go over coming out this this not this past weekend, but the weekend before that. So you know it's Pride Weekend, and this is a league-wide thing. This isn't just the individual teams doing it, which is different than how it's done. Certainly the NHL. Yeah. Uh, so it all happens kind of at once. So what, like, is the decision to do what you did, does that come about, like, I'm thinking about doing it, and then this is putting me over the top of, or it's like, oh, we're having this Pride Weekend, why not do it now? Well, I kind of... Uh... I kind of there, there was a lot of anticipation, like I said, and you know everyone was really supportive and everyone was getting behind it. And I, I think it was the Wednesday before, and I I just texted my my best mate in in Glasgow. And I was like, I'm going to tweet on Sunday. And I kind of ex- expected his response to be like, Oh, are you sure? Like that's that's a big step. And his response was awesome. Uh, and then then his his second text back was. Do you need any help writing the tweet? I was like, yes, absolutely, I do. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, me and my my two best friends up in Glasgow spent pretty much every hour from Wednesday to when I tweeted on Sunday, to just tweaking and and trying to make it, trying to make the message as clear as possible that it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't about me. It was about you know, regardless of who you are, and uh, you should be able to play and and the inclusion in the sport and. Um, to be fair to the elite league, I think they've done, they've made great strides for that, and they've always been more inclusive. For 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 our team, Manchester Storm is our second Pride weekend of the year. We we did our own at the beginning of the season, and you know, seeing this, seeing the support, and I kind of thought, you know, this is the best time to make the biggest impact and and to try and get the message out as far as it possibly can get. Um, I'm under no illusions that if I'd done it this weekend, it would have had nowhere near the same impact. That it would have had during the Pride weekend, and um, it would have been still pretty big. It would have been. Yeah, still found it. It's just. It's so interesting that it happens during the, the Pride weekends because, as my friend Brock McGillis has said, who I will hopefully introduce you to, you should talk to him about many hockey-related things. I think you'll all the all of these people should be talking to one another. But he he's had the thing with Pride weekends that well maybe because in with in the U.S. and with certain teams you could call it pink washing. Which is, oh, well, we're doing this because, hey, we can give away free T-shirts. Yeah, you know? yeah. But they do matter because this is not the first time we've seen somebody come out on a Pride weekend or on a Pride night. And that's, again, it's a big deal. So they do matter. But well, I think the other interesting thing for you is you came out on a game day. You yeah. played that day. Yeah, well, we usually we play at home on the Saturday and we play away on the Sunday. But uh, this time around, we, we, were, we were home on the Sunday and um, – I think if it had been the other way around, I, I might have tweeted the Friday night or, or Saturday morning. Um, the message I was sending was that I was so proud to wear the shirt. And obviously, if I go, then go and play a game not wearing the prize shirt, it doesn't kind of have the same impact. So it was it was kind of, for me, the only time I could really do it. And um, going back to the Pride Weekend thing, it, it's I think it's a, it shows you it definitely showed me that the league was accepting the fans were so accepting and all, all the players around the around the league were so accepting and i for me i kind of thought well why not why not say what 
I've known for years. Why not say what I'm now comfortable saying to to people in private? It's a like I said, it's an opportunity to reach the people that might need to hear it. it. It's an opportunity to try and and change how the 16 year old version of me is thinking. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you think when you when you when you decided to come out? Did you think it was going to be what it was? I had absolutely no idea. Um, I didn't know whether the reaction was going to be positive, negative, or just completely ignored. Um, obviously, like I said, it's been overwhelmingly positive, and and that's great. It shows that, you know, like like I said already, ice hockey kind of gets tarnished with a brush that it's it's not inclusive and it's, you know, it's a sport for straight white males. And I think we, the elite league, have certainly made strides to prove otherwise, and the reaction certainly proves otherwise. You know, it's not just people in the UK that have, have messaged me, it's people from the States and Canada and and even even Europe and you know, that's it just shows that although hockey's tarnished with this brush, it's actually quite an accepting community and, and as long as you can play the sport then then you can play the sport. And I think it's you know, um certainly in female hockey, uh, all sexualities have been accepted pretty much for an animal though. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Sport and men's sport is such a different animal. Absolutely, and, and it it just kind of showed that, you know, although hockey was tarnished with this brush, it's actually not quite true. And and I think the reaction certainly to my tweet kind of showed that hockey is really accepting it. It doesn't really matter who you are or what you believe in. If you can play the sport, you can play the sport. So, have you, so now you're in the position where you said earlier about you, you were looking for that role model. You were looking for someone who you could have been the, the guy to look up to at 16. And now you're that guy 10 years later, there thereabouts. And you're hearing from people now, I presume. There probably were people who were saying, I'm going through this too. So what's that like now to be on the other side? It's not just, I'm looking for someone. It's people are looking up to me. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't want to go too much into who's messaging me. Well, of course not. But just in general, what is it like to be in the position of saying, people are coming to me and I can help them out? Yeah, so that's, I, I think the, the best thing to do is if you have everybody wants to come to you or anybody wants to come to you and say, I'm dealing with this, this is a struggle. And especially in this sport where you have four examples of professional men who have come out, you have now somebody who you could look up to and the feelings has to be just so great. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of vindicates my decision to do it, that it's it's genuinely helping these people and, um, you know, anything that anything that I can do to help other people going through their same journey. I, I, I firmly believe that it's an honor to be involved in someone else's story, no matter how small a part you play. And if, if I can give them a couple of words of advice, you know, I'm relatively new to, like you said, I'm relatively new to having accepted it myself, but if I can help someone going through the same situation or, or just a couple of words of advice that make them feel more comfortable then then honestly, it's an, it's an honor for me that, that they feel that they can trust me with their, with their own journeys. Mm-hmm. So now I have to get, we'll get more to this in a little bit, but I want us now to talk about the hockey related things. We're going to get the hockey geek portion of the show. Now I saved it because that's not what this show is. Yeah. But so the first thing I noticed when I looked up the logo for the Manchester storm, and maybe this doesn't mean anything to you, but this does mean something to me. And perhaps somebody else is listening to it. It looks like Frieza from Dragon Ball Z. I can't help but say that. And if I'm, I'm sorry if it now looks like that and you can't unsee it. So uh, that's one. One important observation I've made. I'll be honest, I haven't watched Dragon Ball Z, so I, I would have... I haven't watched it since I was, like, 
seven or eight. But, I mean, if you've watched it, you know what I'm on about. Secondly, I have to ask what kind of defenseman you are because it's not easy to watch Elite League games over here. So, uh, what kind of defenseman are you? I'm a, I'm a very defensive D-man. Um, I don't... Uh, you're not a defenseman that wants to score all these goals and play halfway up in the offensive zone. Oh, that's not that's me. Not that's... Me. that's, 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 uh, that's... that's... Like I said, I don't really like the limelight. I don't really like the spotlight. So uh, for me, just just stopping the other team scoring is is good enough for me. So uh, is there any defenseman that, as you grew up, you said, "Oh, I'm going to model my game after this"? Because you can see the NHL in in, the, in England. It's just not easy, but you can yeah. see it. So yeah. is there anybody who's like, "That's who my game is most like"? Um, looking at them, I I probably, you know. I, or obviously, you always. I, I I looked up to all the players in the NHL. Um, you know, Eric, Eric Carlson is uh, very offensive. You don't play like Eric Carlson though. And, and, but I I still looked up to him, and I still thought, wow, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that kind of stuff. Um, but no, I, I um, to be honest, my my role model growing up in in ice hockey was Jerome McGinley, and he's a forward. He's one of the best forwards. That's a good one. Yeah, he's one of the best forwards to ever play in the NHL, and. Um, has not absolutely nothing to do with defense. So, uh, why, why him? Uh, not completely sure. Um, my brother was a Vancouver fan. Uh, oh, he played for Calgary. Yeah, well, um, sibling rivalries is um. Ah, okay. No, you obviously so you decided best best player on the team that hates the Canucks. Exactly. I can appreciate that. Why yeah. was your brother? Why did your brother like the Canucks? The Sedin twins. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That's reasonable. Yeah, um, yeah. So being being the little brother and and the annoying one, I I obviously chose the team that hated the Canucks the most. Um, that would be the Boston Bruins. No, I'm kidding. And uh, yeah, so so Calgary and Jerome McGinley was obviously the best player at the time. So um, I did actually used to be a forward as well. So so that might. Oh, okay. So when did when did that conversion happen? I think when I was twelve or thirteen. It was quite early. Um, I realized quite early on that. You have to put a lot more effort into being a forward, um, and you uh, can and really helping out the D in the defensive zone is just too much work. Yeah, um, so I, re I realized that as a defenseman, I could just defend and not have to worry about the attacking. So that's kind of my my decision process. We need more defensive defensemen in the league that can move the puck forward. Yeah, it's, I'm referring uh, to the NHL, and I'm referring to my team specifically that does not have defensive defensemen. That only has defensemen that decide to be rovers. It's very interesting as I think about that right now. And I think about my other podcast where we talk about that ad nauseum. So congratulations on uh, being a rare defensive defenseman. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I only, there's just, there's just not, a, there's, it's not that there, because everybody wants to move the puck now. Everybody likes their defenseman to move the puck, be active in the play. You can do that and be good defensively too. I think, I think also it's a case of, you know, the NHL is obviously the hardest league to crack and, and I think people think uh, players growing up think that if they if they can't produce moments of magic, if they can't you know score goals, if they can't get points, then then they're going to be overlooked for their chance to make the NHL. So they kind of develop into offensive D men and and create their offensive side to be the reason that they stand out in games. Um, there's magic, there's magic though in in D men doing their job. Absolutely, um, but I think maybe just. Just especially the the top players feel that unless they have also have that that offensive side to their game, and unless that offensive side isn't 
one their their one of their top assets, they're not going to get the chance to to crack the NHL. I hope that people realize you can move the puck and you can be good defensively, and you don't have to you know you don't have to be John Carlson to be a good defenseman. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. It's also hard to quantify D impact. I've I've talked about that on other shows. We we don't need to get into a hockey analytics discussion here. God help me. This is a place where this makes sense. Uh, I also have to say, when I started doing research for the uh, this show, I was looking at who played in the league. I, I knew about Paul Bissonnette. I knew about other people. But here's what I didn't know about, and, and I love this. One of your teammates is Henrik Samuelsson. I did not know that until Saturday. Yeah, he's uh, he's actually one of my roommates as well. He's, he's probably upstairs playing Fortnite right now. Um, it's so funny because when I, I, I think about, he won the World Junior Championship, um, uh, well, well, under 18s, but obviously, I mean, he's son of Ulf Samuelson. He was a first-round pick, so people know who he is. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was one of those where I was legitimately surprised. I didn't know that, but I do now. Yeah, yeah, he's a uh, yeah. Like I said, he's probably upstairs playing Fortnite. We haven't heard him him shout too much today, so he's probably playing quite well. Um, okay, he's uh, a hockey player thing. Yeah, another hockey player thing, shouting at the screen when we're not doing well at video games. Uh, well, it's either that or, or or NHL 20, I guess. Yeah, um, but no, no, he's he's a great guy, and um, I I don't want to say anything on here about it, but. Um, I think he kind of lost his love of hockey a little bit, and and I think he saw this as a as a good chance and a good opportunity to to try and refine that love for for his sport that he's obviously been playing for his entire life, and you know he's got a great role model in his dad, and I believe his brother plays in the Swedish league mm-hmm. as well. So um, he's a fantastic player, um, but I think he just maybe lost his his love for hockey, and he saw a good opportunity for. For a lot of minutes and and an opportunity to to refine that love and hopefully hopefully then being in Manchester this year he's done that he's he's been playing better and better as the weeks go by so um yeah he's a he's a great hockey player and uh, he's a great guy as well. Who's the best player you ever played with? It's probably somebody no one in North America has ever heard of, but yeah, yeah. you can say it. Um, best hockey player I ever played with probably a guy called Scott Pitt when he first came over. There, there's I'd say two guys. They're two completely different players. Uh, one is Matt Keith. He played for, I believe he played for the Vancouver Canucks for a few games one year. Uh, he certainly played in the NHL. Um, he was a brilliant player. He was a sentiment. He was a two-way forward. and um, He was one of those rare players that was just as good defensively as he was offensively. Um, but he also had the ability to to kind of take the game by the by the horns and and win it win it himself and he was he was a fantastic player he I was lucky enough to have him as my captain for three years as well and um yeah he he was fantastic and then another guy called Scott Pitt who in my opinion when he first came over he he was the best import in the league and um he would be in a in a situation in a corner where there are three guys on him and he'd somehow stick handle his way out of all three of them and, and come out and make a fantastic playback door and and then shrug it off like he'd done nothing and um two completely different players. One was a kind of two way forward and a and a bruiser he used to use his body and Keith used to use his body quite a lot and and Pity kind of the complete opposite. He was a dangler, he was a skill player and um did things that I still don't know how he's done. Um even this year playing in Glasgow he's he's doing things that guys are like, how did he do that? 
Um, so yeah, two completely different players, but they're probably the two best players I've ever played with. So what about what is British hockey for those people who don't know anything about British hockey? Well, um, lucky that it happened this year because um, we're actually in the World Championships group this year. We yeah, I, I know you were, you were in there last year. Yep. Uh, if I remember, they played. You were in the same group as Canada, I think. That's right. I think it was Canada, USA were the with the two big teams in the group. Uh, they lost seven three to USA and I think eight or nine one to Canada. Uh, eight nothing to Canada. As I'm just looking it up because the World Championships are a thing that I do not think about. Yeah. Never. I never have and probably never will because uh, they happened during the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was six yeah. three to the yeah. U.S. So. Yeah. And on that U.S. team, because I have to mention it, just for the sake of for the sake of sanity, uh, on that that Canadian team was all right. That Canadian team wasn't too bad. Yeah. Uh, and the U.S. team, do I completely forget who was on that team? I know. Pat- uh, oh, Jack Hughes was on that team. Well, that's interesting. Patrick Kane was on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah because the Blackhawks are bad now. Yep. Johnny uh, Gaudreau. I mean, good players are on that. Yeah. Both users were on that team. Actually, I didn't even realize that. But yeah, it's, it's it's um, we've we've come a long way in the last few years. We've um, I think they're the right people in charge of Ice Hockey UK, which is our our governing body of ice hockey, and they're trying to make real changes for for the hockey in this country. And um, even now, like the elite leagues making new rules that you have to have a certain number of under twenty five players to try and develop young British players to be good enough to play in the league. And, um, you know, I, I'm lucky enough, my coach this year, I've had, this is my fourth year with him. I, I joined him when I was 25 years ago and or six years ago now. And um, he took time out of his busy schedule of trying to win games and trying to win the league and, and took time out of that to try and develop me as a player as well. And, um, you know, we're lucky enough to have a coach like that. I know the, the two young guys on our team are getting that same treatment and uh yeah i think um while i don't think we're ever going to get to the standard of canada and usa i think the fact that we're in the the world championships group is a huge step forward for the country and uh i believe liam kirk is he got drafted in the nhl draft two years ago i believe and he's yep. playing in the uh, i think it's the west coast hockey league at the the junior the ohl maybe he is in the uh, – he's somewhere. I think he could yeah. be in the OHL. I'll have to ask my friend Jeff Merrick about that because I have no clue. He's he's doing really well, and um, he's getting a lot of points. I think he's playing first line and power play over there. And I think it's – although it's he's the only one at the moment, it's kind of showing that we are still we're, – we're a young hockey nation, but we're still, we're still putting the strides in the strides in to – to try and get to the level of the other top hockey nations like USA and Canada and and obviously Sweden and Russia, but I doubt that we'll ever quite get there because obviously, you know, we have sports over here that are a lot bigger than hockey, like rugby, cricket, football, and ah, yes, you can make fun of Wayne Rooney all the time instead of being good at hockey. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's uh, and and ice hockey isn't a cheap sport to get involved in. No. Um, you know, for I was about to say, like, how how hard is it if you're just somebody who wants to play? Like, like it's not like even in some places up, you know, not just Canada, but in the northern U.S. Like, there aren't probably a ton of rinks around where you could just go out there and play. Like, when you were growing up in Surrey, where was the closest rink to you? Well, the closest rink was was Guildford, which was uh, which was about half an hour away. But that was that's quite rare for 
and I actually didn't play there until I was 17. Um, so the rink that the rink that I grew up playing in was an hour and a half away, and then I I changed teams to a team that was the other side of Surrey, and that was two hours away. And like I said, I was lucky enough to have parents that were willing to take me, but not only willing to take me, were could actually afford to to pay for my hockey. Um, you know, all, all you need for football is is a pair of trainers and a football. For ice hockey, you need you need all the kit. You need the you need the ice time. You need the the ability and the willingness to travel. And there's so much that goes into to committing to ice hockey in this country. Certainly, um, it kind of it makes it hard to stick to, especially when you know the biggest role models in this country are definitely footballers. Oh well, if Harry Kane could ever stay healthy. <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, congratulations, Pep. You just lost to another team without Harry Kane again. How do you feel now? I like Tottenham if it wasn't already clear. But uh, I thought it was going to get stick for that, but I apparently not. Well, I uh, can't really say much because I'm a Newcastle fan. So. Oh, I feel very sorry for you. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry about your tragic life, but treat Danny Rose well, would you? Yeah, well, I, I don't... Think Tottenham fans do that. Is it, you grew up in Surrey and you like Newcastle. Alan Shearer. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yep. All right. It's fine. the greatest Premier League striker of all time. Until Harry Kane beats him. Nope. He's if, going... if, if Harry Kane's legs ever work again properly. If he doesn't sign for Barcelona. Uh, he's not going to sign for Barcelona. That is a typical Real Madrid. This is not a soccer podcast, but I had to ask that because it's, uh, you know. Well, also, it's just going very well for Manchester in soccer right now. Yeah. It's, um... it's going incredibly well. Yeah. They're not, they're I not... love the Schadenfreude. They're uh, they're not doing too great this year. Um, City. Odd. Who who feels bad about that? Absolutely no one. Well, everyone actually, because well, everybody in in your town, yes, but for me, watching from the other side of the world, shame what? for it is great. I love it. Yes, but we'd we'd rather Man- Manchester United or Manchester City win the league than Liverpool. Well, this is also true, but I mean, as as a point of reference, just for my own sake. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's not like City was bad. I know, I know plenty of City fans. They're not bad. They're not bad people. But City kind of cheated a little. They kind of commit technical well, fouls all the time. You know. Anyway. Yeah. I, and Manchester United is just a good. I mean, the the th- I mean, the worst that you get in American sports is Channing sell the team. Knicks fans to James Dolan. You got people throwing eggs at Edward Ward's house. You know, that's just another level. Yeah, I think that's that was another some, level. Some flares and some fireworks in there as was well. Was it flares? Oh, I didn't even know that. I just thought it was just eggs. No, flares and fireworks. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, no. Well, at least now I can tell American fans you just shouldn't root for Manchester United because they're a mid-table club. It's unfortunate. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm making fun of this because I can. And, it, and, and as I said, like making fun of it reminds me, oh, Tottenham's still bad, but, you know. Yeah, definitely are. Uh, they, well, I mean, they were good until they weren't. And and now they hired you know uh, I don't know the the Randy Carlisle of hockey of, of soccer managers I don't know anyway we're now getting into soccer discussion which means this is going on a little bit past the sell by date so firstly thank you again for coming on and thank you for what you've done your impact is just massive especially I think you I think you've realized how massive the impact is as as the days have gone by but for yep. you now as it's only eight days and that's not a lot of time. But as you now you sit back and you do all these interviews, including somebody with like me, 
do you have, has it really sunk in just how impactful what you've done has been? Um, I don't really think so. Um, like I said, I've, there, there have been a couple of people that have reached out, and and that's kind of that's that's great. Like it's this it's what it's all about. Like I said multiple times already, it's about making other people feel more comfortable. I was at a point where I was comfortable and I was confident, and I came out and said it. And I've said on a couple of interviews if. If other other professional sportsmen feel ready to come out and say something, then that's great. But then, at the same time, if they don't, then that's also fine. There's no there's no there's no requirement for people to do it. There's no, and I think that's that's another problem in sports that you know people see these people see these sportsmen, and obviously, you know, the math doesn't really work out that there are, there are millions of people playing sport, and there are very few people, very few men that are not straight. Um, but then I don't think it's fair for them to be pressured into a situation where they feel that they need to come out. I, it's it's a very private journey. Like I said, you know, talking about sexuality is is a very private conversation. And by no means me doing this am I ever calling other people out to do the same. It's it's just about trying to make other people feel more comfortable, confident, and and comfortable in their in their own journey. And uh, I hope I, I hope I've done that. That's, that's, I've seen now that you're also says what was it? You're going to speak at one of these pride events. Yeah, um, I'm quite nervous as a as a public speaker, so I'm not sure how that's going to go. You're a hockey player. Yeah, but we we don't have to talk to uh, talk to the fans when they're in the stands. We just we just play we just play a sport. We we know. Yeah, talk to the media, you know, media. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to support my family and, and my friends. They're they're gonna come along with me, so hopefully it won't be too bad. I I think you'll be okay. As oh, I said, we've got people who could help you. You can help you figure this out. You're you're gonna do you're gonna do fine with it. You already did the hard part. The, yeah, the hard... absolutely. Uh, I've said that before. You know, the hard thing is telling the world. Um, you know, I, I joked to my I joked to my best friend Josh and said. I don't think I'm ready to tell the world. And then I kind of messaged him back. I was like, not that the world really cares. Um, well, the world does care. Some parts of the world care. Yeah, and and that's great. You know, some some parts of the world I think need to need to hear it. And um, well, this 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 sports world needs to hear it. Yeah, I think I think as you've gone through your journey, you've kind of figured. And, and British hockey is not what happens over here, but it's still hockey and. The culture is still very much hockey, even if it's, you know, got a little British flavor to it. And I think the impact of it is, and for me, as I've always said, like, anybody coming out is a big deal. If they came out in sports that I follow a lot, it's a bigger deal. But it's the biggest deal for me for this sport because of what it has gone through, the struggles that these people face, and the personal experience I've had talking with people who have, who have gone through that and yep. what they have to deal with. That's why it's most impactful to me. Personally, as somebody who cares about this sport dearly, but knows it has so many issues when it comes to this, and it's particularly at the highest levels, and to see it even, even again, British hockey is what it is, and it's never going to be like if an NHL player comes out, and one day hopefully that happens, but still, yeah. somebody doing it is a big deal. And it's also, I think, really important to see somebody do it while they're playing, because yeah. that is even more novel for this sport because a lot it happens sometimes when they're already done playing or they're in a spot in their career where you know they're not quite at the level they want to be at but for you it it you're happened and you're going to play and you're going to play for a while and that is something again that is incredibly novel particularly in this sport 
and that is hugely influential, I think. And again, this is a small world. I see more Premier League games on TV than you guys do. So yeah. for that reason, that's why if story like that goes on Twitter, I'll see it on my timeline and it becomes something that, you know, I jump on and a lot of people jump on. And yep, yep. for and for the and that's I think is is just as much as impact as anything else. And I think maybe you, again you, you don't realize how small the world is until you see something like this. And for you, I saw the tweet. It's got what six thousand something likes. Yeah, it's, it's got quite a lot of traction, definitely. And again, like it's for you. I mean, is it is it something that you can even kind of wrap your head around? No, I I, I think I've only I think I've got. 4,000 followers, so more more like... You, how many followers have you picked up since you, I think since about, you came out? Well, I think I think I was on 3,500, and I think I'm on about 5,000-something now. I'll have a little look now. Yeah, so I was on 3,500, and I'm now on 5,600. So at least 2,000 followers. That, again, you see, like, the impact, it, it goes, and it goes crazy. Yeah. So, so as you continue, like, what, what do you want to be? What's next for you? You're going to keep playing, but what's next for you as you kind of come into your role, not just now as an openly bisexual man, but somebody who starts to be more of an advocate for the community publicly using the platform you have to do that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, like any opportunity I, I can have to, to promote the message, I'm absolutely going to take. Um, like I said already, it's out of my comfort zone, but it's it's the only message in my life that I can think of that I feel passionately about, and I feel that is important enough to to take me out of my comfort zone. And um, you know, like you said, if it can encourage other people to to feel comfortable in themselves, then then it's definitely something I'm going to take the opportunity to to promote. And and anyone that gives me the the chance to do that, I'm I'm definitely going to take it with both hands and and put that message out there because it's it's an important message. Um, and like you said, especially in this sport, where there's there's still that stigma and there's still that that um, you know everything hockey's been through. And um, yeah, for me, any chance that I can take to to promote this is is definitely one I'm going to take. It's and I'm glad you have done it because you've made a lot of people, including me, incredibly happy and incredibly hopeful that this is going to translate. And I hope it does because there's so many people out there. There is no way that there are more people like you playing the sport not just in England, but everywhere. And they need somebody to look up to, and they now have it. And that's it's incredibly influential. And again, thank you so much for being on. And now where can people find you if they're interested in more of you talking about this? Or, I don't know, Newcastle, Angry Newcastle tweets. Well, uh, my Twitter is ZachSully11. That's probably my most um, active social media. I'm not very active on social media, in all honesty. Well, you're a hockey player. Yeah, that's that's the uh, the most active on uh, on Twitter. So, yep. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having. Congratulations, you are awesome. I can't say that enough, and I hope more people who are going to hear this story now are going to think the same. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Zach for doing something that no one else has done before, uh, coming out as bisexual and doing it while he's playing and being the first ever defenseman to come out, which is again novel. Very very hockey to see these things like this, and hopefully. <laughs> This is not the last hockey person we're talking to because the list of people we could talk to in hockey is very small. I hope that with Zach, that's changing. We will see you soon for more shows on the Outfield Podcast.